right, all right, all right. So before we get started this week with story time with Corey, I forgot last week to tell one of the best bachelor party stories of all time. So I'm scared. I don't know where this is going. I have not. I didn't prep Corey for this, but we're going to walk you through the trip that it took from us to get to Nashville to Charleston. Oh, I wasn't there because I was coming from Jacksonville up. I wasn't, whole, I wasn't I, there. I ruined this whole thing then. Damn, you, you, you did meet us there, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I drove up because I was coming from down south. Y'all were coming over. But still tell the story because it is epic. <sighs> That'll tell you the state of mind that I was in. <laughs> You're going to know bits and pieces of this because you met us later. And then you obviously join us at one point. But anyways, I drive from Nashville to Atlanta, and I'm going to meet up with Preston and Sebastian and my dad and my two brothers. And we're going to go to Atlanta, sleep Wednesday night, and we're going to get up and we're going to drive Thursday morning to get to Charleston to meet you coming from Jacksonville. Is that right? Yep, coming up from Jacksonville. And you had, like, set up the whole house and everything. So uh, we get in the car, get to, get to Atlanta. I get there first. And I think it was just me and Sebastian, maybe. Uh, I think that's who it was. And we are at a bar. He, t- he got a- took us to some bar, and we're drinking um, Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, right? So we get a couple pictures, feeling ourselves. like It's like the night before the trip, right? It's like, But we're going to take it easy because we got to get up early. Anyways, uh, we are about two or three pictures in, and my dad – and brothers show up with Preston and um, all of a sudden we go to close out the tab. We're going to go to sleep and then get up in the morning. And I think it was Preston. Preston goes, screw it. Let's just drive tonight. And it's already like 1030, 11 o'clock at night, maybe. And I don't know how many hours that is. Nine, 10. It's a waste. I think it's like eight, nine, 10 hours, something like that from Atlanta to Charleston. It could be, it could have been seven. I can't remember, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little buzzed, to be honest. I'm a little buzzed. And uh, we get in the in this rental car, I think, that they had. It was like a big old, like, suburban expedition or something. Pile everybody in. I remember, I think I was in the front seat. Or maybe it was, no, 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 no. I was definitely in all the way in the back because I wanted to go to sleep. I was exhausted. I'd already driven all that day. And so we take off. And the only thing I can describe about the next eight hours, it was just a, a blur of images and memories that escaped me. Like, it's just like snippets. It, it was like a montage, you know what I'm saying? Like a montage from a movie or something. And uh, so we wake up, I, I wake up and we're at a gas station somewhere. And I just remember like, what is going on? And uh, all of a sudden someone has bought 40s at like, again, like 2 a.m. And I, by the way, someone is always pressed in this. Area. So <laughs> Preston Bushy is the someone of the story. So someone buys 40s. And so some members in the car are, you know, pre- I think Preston stayed up the entire time. And he's he been up since like 7 a.m. So Pre- Preston and your dad are the only two. My dad, my time. dad drove, my dad drove, Preston rode shotgun, and he basically just willed us to Charleston. I wake up again at 4 a.m. Go ahead. Interject. No, I was just going to say, not without a few stops along the way. Oh, there were stops. Yes. So so one flash was a gas station, and I remember people having 40s. That was a a thing. 
And then obviously I think we had to stop because it was forties, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, there was a bathroom break at some point and then I wake up again, it's like 4am and we're on the campus of the university of South Carolina. All of a sudden I'm like, Van, they're like, Van, get up, get up, get up. Let's go. We're taking a photo. So I, I like, again, zoned out, tired as hell, get dragged out of the car and we're taking photos in front of the, the stadium. Um, at South Carolina. And then I, it's, I don't know why it felt like another sleep happened, but I was in and out of sleep and I wake up and we're at a fraternity house. What was Preston's fraternity? Uh, yeah, he was a five game. So we go to their house in South Carolina and I'm, they knocked on the door to see if they would let him in to just have a beer or hang out or something again, three, four in the morning. Like nobody should be awake even at a frat house. Right. Cause it's like a Wednesday night. <sighs> So we finally arrive and you had set up the Airbnb or whatever this was. And, uh, I don't think we were supposed to check in till like noon. No, because and this is what I was going to say. So <laughs> we, yeah, I, so I'm, I'm asleep in Jacksonville knowing the next day yes. I'm driving up to go meet this car full of idiots at, at the beach house. And when it's an Airbnb, you're not supposed to check in until like three or four. All right. Oh, that's right. It's, it was it's, it's not it's not early. I mean, you're supposed to be traveling that day, which was originally the plan. The plan at 6 a.m. I start getting phone calls. Of, hey, man, where you at? I am in bed in my house in Jacksonville. Oh, OK, yeah, we're on our way. I'm like, yeah, I will see you tomorrow. This is not I, I'm, I'm done. I, I turn my phone like on silent. I wake up again at like nine o'clock to like 14 more missed calls and voicemails and pictures of the craziest things. stuff of things. <laughs> uh, yeah. Things is definitely the way to put it. And you know, your, your dad is a particular man and he, he likes to get things done and he wants it done his way on his schedule and his time on lead time. And uh, lead time was saying, Hey man, we're going to be in Charleston about 10 o'clock. Can you can you call the the people and see if we can just can we just go can we just can we just go at like ten I'm like I mean I'll call but we're not supposed to be there till like four like that's I remember that there. I remember that because he calls you and then he hangs up and he looks back at us he's like yeah Corey's gonna make sure we get in by eight a.m. Uh, and I was like <laughs> how is this supposed to happen like you're, they're, they're not gonna give me a day for free and so I call and I'm talking to people like hey. You know, the, the other guys are just super excited. They actually decided to drive, you know, through the night last night. Uh, I'm not asking for anything too crazy. H how early could we honestly really check in? And I think they came back with 10 o'clock and I was like, perfect. And so I called you. And then so when y'all got to Charleston, you didn't go to the house. You went to the beach at like eight in yep. the morning. And then yep. you know, here you go. I'll let you finish it out. No, I mean, yeah. So I just, I remember that him pushing you to like, hey, call him. But we can get it's in early, fine. right? It's fine. Hey, hey, it's fine. Just call them up. It'll be fine. They'll let us do it. It's like, uh, I guess so. Sure. Um, and then I think you were still exhausted. And then for those of like, I still went to sleep when we got there. So it was weird. It was like, we got there a day early, but also I did sleep for like seven hours. Like I wasn't good to go to like three or four in the afternoon. So it was like, basically like, no, we could have just slept and gotten up in the morning, which, yeah, but hey, you know, that wouldn't have been the fun story. So then we, we got up there y'all. I mean, I got all those phone calls. I left earlier that morning to drive up, which I wasn't planning on doing. I was planning on meeting up there like three o'clock, which was normal. Yeah. Uh, they, 
So we were able to get there early and, and get checked in. And basically, yeah, everybody passed out for a couple more hours. And then the first thing we do is we kind of wake up. That's when we say, hey, because nobody was in a good state to even talk to each other uh, before that. And then we went out to a taco boy and got tacos at like four in the afternoon. Oh, the tacos were great. And the tequila was better. The tequila flights were going. All right. Well, I feel bad that I totally, I mean, again, it was a daze. So my mistake of thinking that you were in the car with us the whole time makes sense. Cause I was asleep for at least 80%. <laughs> of so I apologize for, for trying to tell a story that you were only in 20% of, but here we go. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. It's, I just went on or I either just went on or depending on how this gets edited, I'm about to go on an hour long rant, which you're not even really a part of at all. You're, you're about about to, to, you're about to do editing the power of editing. Hey, time, time is an ever flowing. So let me talk to you about how time travel could possibly and theoretically exist. Hold on, hold on. We're gonna do that podcast. Actually, I can. We're doing. Cons- I will break down gonna the do, physics behind it. We're gonna do conspiracy theories. Uh, just I can't remember what I titled it, but we're gonna do conspiracy theories, and I really want our, my friend Evan to come on and do that. So um, we're, once we start doing guests, oh, it's gonna be a good. One. I. Uh, it's gonna be a good one. Oh, it's like aliens yeah. too. Conspiracy theories, aliens, and other crazy things. So what you're so, about to listen to is me talk for an hour long about being a nuclear engineer in the Navy. And we did a lot of physics, right? And a lot of, of that kind of thought. So we did break down the uh, theory and the actual stuff behind uh, if time travel were to be successful. Ooh, so I can legitimately talk like you it. through it when we get to that portion. It's pretty, it's pretty fun and interesting. Uh, I'll also say that does make me a huge nerd. And if you ever watch Big Bang Theory and wonder, those equations on the whiteboard, yeah, they're real. Majority of, them, majority of them are actually well, real. That is a killer teaser for a pod that we don't have scheduled yet. But, you better keep listening. But you never pretty, know what it's going to be. But now, now I'm excited. But in all seriousness, this pod was great. I hope you guys enjoy it. to go i got you good to go all right story time with Corey. we already did a story time with me which was a lot of talking on my end i cannot wait to just ask a question and let you talk for 10 minutes so here we are isn't that how just about every other one goes though yeah you're right you're right (laughs) so i got a got a little bit of a list of, of some questions for you but let's start off with the story that you just told me before we started the pod uh sounds like jonah got you good he did yet again yet again so we'll get into i think some of uh, some some fatherhood stories because despite what many may say or believe you know we typically frame this around job stories right work stories and, and what have you fatherhood is a job just like motherhood is a job stay-at-home moms have a very hard job respect much respect anyway so let's take it jonah to chick-fil-a tonight and we were driving in the car, and I can't even remember the question he asked me, but he asked me some question when we were stopped at a red light. And 
Uh, I don't know if it was you. I think it was, it was probably you. I think you had texted me and I was reading some text message from you and I did not respond to him quickly enough or at least in a satisfactory manner. I don't know. And all of a sudden, I do hear from the back seat, good talk, Dad. <laughs> like, all right, good talk. Good talk. <laughs> I was just like so innocent and pure. And then it immediately like, man, I say that all the time. Good talk. Good job. I, yeah, I okay. do the I do the exact same thing. I like uh, like the the solo like you put a fist up to do the fist bump and then they don't do it and you just fist bump yourself. It's the same exact thing. I absolutely love it. Speaking uh, of, you see Tom Brady try to high five the ref. The yeah, night. yeah, that was a fail there too. That was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> all right, well, good start. Jonah gets you good. Let's go into uh, some of the questions that uh, I had for you. So. Kind of like with mine, I wanted to kind of start chronologically, start at the beginning. So we obviously had some very funny stories growing up, but I want to know about stuff that I don't necessarily know about yet. So, you know, you go to college and that was fun for a little while. Um, before we too, get into a little, little too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Any stories there that you'd like to share potentially? Oh, no. That you, can't, oh, no. that, you, that you're allowed to share or that the statute of limitations has already run out on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I went to the university of Alabama uh, and just, you know, I'll just leave it as I had a little too much fun. That's, that's what I'll leave it as. Cool. Um, we had, uh, we had, we had a good time. Uh, Sebastian, the other part of the tripod was there with me and uh, it was fun. I'll, okay. I'll tell, I'll tell one story. This was, this was senior year of high school leading into freshman year. I was only at Alabama uh, for about three months. So we're, we're the, the football season prior. And Sebastian and I went down to a football game, right? And my family uh, does a very big tailgate down on the quad. They've got a spot right next to the library. And they, they do it right. They do it big. They've got a, a, a mini, I think it's like a 10 or 12-foot U-Haul truck that they bring down full of everything generally we feed and uh, uh give the drinks right so we always have pretty college girls around you know it's it's a it's a good setup they they have you know they have uh, cultivated in mind this spot and, and these people for quite a while to get this uh going so anyway sebastian and i go down and his brother is a junior i think at the time uh at the university of alabama uh he's a fiji uh, so we had a pretty good in at that, which it seemed like everybody who came from Randolph ended up being a Fiji, um, down there at Alabama. So we had a lot of connections there and, and, uh, you know, partied there quite a bit, but we were, uh, coming out right after the game and we didn't have, we didn't want to show up empty handed, right? We can't be the young kids that show up to the college party and not bring anything. Well, we are also 12 years old. Like we look like we are little babies. All right. So for the record, we, not, not actually 12 years old. Okay, no, <laughs> no, we were, I mean, yeah. So we, uh, we go into the U-Haul and we get this great, idea. I mean, there's cases upon cases of beer in there. And so we get the idea that, all right, well, we'll, we'll just bring a case of beer. We'll be in, it'll be great. Nobody will be. None the wiser from, you know, my family and my side. And, you know, the guys will feel that we contributed something at least, even though they wouldn't have cared. But we, we felt like, you know, it was our duty. That's what we were yep. supposed to do. Well, let me tell you how stupid we were. So we're at the, in, in the quad next to the library. The, the Fiji house is not too far, but it's a good walk. 
And uh, so we put this suitcase into a trash bag and then proceed to pretend like we're picking up trash along the entire walk so that way people don't get suspicious about seeing the shape no. of a case of beer in this, this bag and it's the only thing in there. <laughs> so we get to the, the Fiji house and like I have to go find a dumpster first, dump out all the trash, and then take the case of beer back around to the side and go in. Trash uh, beer. How about yeah, that? Trash beer. It was fine. Nice. Uh, maybe if, we can if, maybe we can share some trash beer together one day. So. I mean, what you know, like trash pandas, whatever. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Um, there was another story. It was probably like our first week there. Um, we kind of, we go going on a similar route. Um, probably had too many adult beverages and were uh, running around. And I really wanted to get a picture. Apparently, at the time with uh, campus police. I also really wanted to get a picture with campus police with a case of Natty Light on my head. Okay. That's good. Um, so sounds, sounds like a smart decision. It, it was. It was. Uh, the the backstory was great though, because I mean, it was you know it was Pledge Week and everything. So we just walked up to him. I was like, "Hey, man, listen, uh, I'm trying to get to Fiji, and, and this is what they've asked me to do. I'm on a I'm on a, <laughs> a scavenger hunt here. I've got to get a picture with you with this box of Natty Light on my head. Do you mind? And those pictures are still out there. Like it's just oh, me gosh. with a case of Natty Light over my head uh, with a cop. Just you know, give me the thumbs up, having some fun. He was definitely a team player. But if that tells you how college went for me, there was that's kind of why I was only there for three months. Co- common denominator or missing piece, this guy. Yeah, you were not there for this. I'm pointing at myself for you people just listening. So college was a good time. And then you already kind of walked us through in a previous episode about you driving home in the, in the middle of the night, showing up at your house and being like, hey, dad, uh, I'm going to join the Navy. See ya. So this is this this is what I really want to know. Yeah. So you you have that conversation, and then what happens next? Are you, you pack you pack one bag and you're gone? Do you like where did you go? What did you do? And then once you got there, what's like the? I mean, that's a whole whole upside down shift of uh, a natty light box on top of the <laughs> dome, and then get out, get out, get out, give me fifty. I mean, come on, like how'd that go? Talk to, talk yeah, to and, then, and then they shaved all my hair off. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I go home. We go through that conversation. And it took a few days later for them to kind of come around to the idea. Uh, originally, I was uh, pretty sure. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a Marine. I'm going to be, you know, boots on the ground. I want to fire guns and woo, hoorah. Um, they talked me into going and talking to the Air Force and Navy recruiters instead. So I went to the Air Force first uh, thinking, all right, cool. Yeah, I can go fly a plane. That'd be fun. I had no clue what I wanted to do. I really was, I was pretty lost. I mean, in all honesty, I was kind of a a lost 18 year old, like most of us are and trying to figure out my way in the life. And and I knew that the way that I was going and having a little bit too much fun in college wasn't going to be the way that I needed to go to be successful. Um, you know, to, to the extent that, yeah, I feel like I'm a pretty successful guy now. Um, so I go to the air force office first and they are locked and closed down for lunch. It was 1030 in the morning. So that that kind of told me a little bit more about the Air Force and that they take their two hour, two and a half hour lunches. And, you know, there's a reason a little... we call them the chair force. I don't care about yeah. your uncle. There's a reason we call them the chair force. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying I, I, I there were some undertones of resentment there and some some underlying issues. And then you just busted the door wide open. So you, you took care of it for me. Keep going. Uh, I will say, and this is not uh, this is not an exaggeration by any means. This is a this is a proven scientific fact. 
the Air Force, because they do nothing, they have the best golf courses on any base that you could possibly go to. And that is that is 100% the truth. They have the best golf courses. If you ever want to go golfing on a base, go to an Air Force base. All right. <laughs> there it is. But... Hot. Is that a is that a hot take? That's really not a hot. That's just a known. That's just a fact. This isn't. A, it is. It is known. That's a fact. It is known. Okay, uh, cool. I'll talk a little bit about the the military camaraderie because obviously we like to give everybody a hard time, but uh, it, it really is a brotherhood. It doesn't matter what branch you served in, uh, but you know it, it's kind of like picking on your brother. I mean, it's the same way you and I kid and joke and prod with each other. It's the same way that we do things around with the different branches. So I'll say things like that, but but just want to clarify, I have the utmost respect for anyone who has put on a uniform and, and served and actually anybody who has been a family member of those who have been in uniform, who have served because uh, you know, it's not always, it's not always the easiest thing and you didn't necessarily decide to enlist or join when you married into it. So, you know, you're kind of taking on your, this whole different ideal and this whole different mindset too, that, you know, really deserves recognition. And I really do appreciate it and want to give a shout out to all those who have served. Um, but now we're going back to, you know, let me make fun of everybody. So, so, okay. The dudes were at lunch. So yeah. you could have been, you could have been, you could have been flying planes, but you're not, you decided to go, go Dec- underwater. And well, I didn't go. even decide to do that. So the Navy, the Navy okay. place was next door and I was like, all right, well, cool. Let me go. And so I went, talked to this guy, uh, Chris McMillan, still remember his name, little dude, really little guy. Okay. Um, had a cheesy mustache. I'm like the dude. Oh my God. He was Jimmy Grimes. Jimmy Grimes and him would have been best friends. Um, <laughs> so he tells me, he's like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll get you. I'll get you whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, okay. Here. Were you good? Were you, were you a pretty good student? I was like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I made straight A's. I was okay. He goes, all right, cool. Take this test. And that, that's kind of how it was. He goes, take the, take the test. It'll kind of give us a range and tell us where you need to be. It was a pre-ASVAB, right, which is a test you have to take whenever you're going in uh, and enlisting, and I, I got a perfect score. And so the guy was like, hold the phone. I got something for you. And he tells me, he goes, you're going to be a nuke. And I was like, okay, what, what is that? He goes, man, they, they do all the nuclear stuff. And then this is what he really told me. You get paid a lot of money. And I said, sign me up. That- that's all you That's heard. All I heard. He said a he said a bunch of other stuff and then and then all you heard was money. Yeah, he said <laughs> you make a lot of money. I said, Okay, I'll do that. And he goes, All right, you gotta take one more test. And so I had to take another test, did really well on that, passed it, got in. Uh, <laughs> so then the way that it works before you go to boot camp is I had to enter a delayed entry program. So I was a DEP sailor for about three months. And what that meant was they, they only take so many of like your certain job at a time. So that way they have a steady flow to kind of backfill and it just keeps the logistics moving, right? That, that's kind of how it works because you're, you're I mean, basically eight to 12 weeks in boot camp and they have it timed out. They know what they're doing, right? Uh, and so I had to wait till February before I left for, for boot camp. So I had about three months there in between all this to kind of get in shape. They give you some training material to try to start learning ships and planes and all that kind of stuff. I found out after this dude tricked me into this, that I could have been a pilot in the Navy because they have more planes in the air force. Riddle me that one, Batman. I don't know, but yeah, that I could, I could have been pilot anyway. So we we're going through this and I, and I'm getting ready. And instead of getting in shape for three months, I proceed to just go back to Tuscaloosa, go play, you know, have some more fun in Alabama I go up to Lambeth. I'm pretty sure I see you a few times. Yep. I, 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 you know, I had fun. Um, 
I regret it so much. The leaving the day before, uh, luckily my parents lived in Montgomery. And so there is a giant air station there uh, that, that you leave from. And I had no idea what to expect. Uh, my recruiter didn't really prep me for too much. Again, all he ever said to me that I really remember was, you'll get paid a lot of money. And I was like, I'm in. Uh, so mom and dad drive me to this hotel. They drop me off. And I was never like one of those guys that went to camp over the summer. And so I would have to imagine that that's kind of what it felt like. I went to basketball camp. You know, like it was a little different. This was yeah. um, a different breed of people. You know, I mean, here I am, this kind of pampered, spoiled little rich kid and get dropped into this room of a bunch of 18 year old guys who probably are doing this because they, you know, they couldn't go to college. They didn't have the money for whatever reason. They were down on their luck or they're just trying to make something a little bit better for them and their family and all respect to you. Um, But we have different backgrounds. I mean, and uh, I was a little out of my element. So it was a little awkward. I was a little shy. And that's, that's, that's very strange for me because I'm not a shy person that kind of hangs back. No, I can attest to that. You are not. No uh, shy. I, this, is the, this is probably the <clears throat> most scared I have ever been. Like I was just sitting there. Like, I was in shock. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was going on. We had to get up at about 4 in the morning the next morning to get on a bus to take us to the airport. Uh, we go. We get on the plane, fly up to O'Hare. Great Lakes, Illinois is where uh, the Navy boot camp is, which is right outside of Chicago. So we fly up to uh, O'Hare and all they tell us is go to this terminal, which I'm pretty sure is like an abandoned, broken down. Like they haven't fixed this thing up in 10 years. Like it is spooky. And all they tell you is here, take this packet of information and go sit down over there and not in a chair on the floor and no air conditioning. In February in Chicago, you're talking about cold. I was freezing. I was <laughs> so cold sitting on this like vinyl VCT floor, holding a packet of paper, not allowed to talk to anybody. Not All you're told to do is look straight. You, you were told specifically not to read the paper that they just gave you. So naturally, I'm trying to read it while I'm sitting there. And I, I, I mean, within the first 10 minutes, I'm getting yelled at for not being able to follow instructions. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm not, I'm sorry. You know, a thousand, thousand yard stare. Here we go. And so we're sitting there, the bus finally comes and you're just, you don't know what to do. Like you're just, it's, you're, you're starstruck almost, but to a completely different sense of what did I just get myself into? Are you allowed to bring anything with you? Do you have any personal effects or anything? Good question. Like, you got a couple things. I mean, cause you're wearing all issued clothing and everything. So not yet. So we're still in like our civilian, our civvies, our civilian, civvies. our civilian clothing. Okay. I still had my old BlackBerry, right? I still had my, my, my <laughs> yeah. watch, uh, all the, you know, like I, I'm still me at this point. Uh, and now I'm in the back of a bus getting driven, uh, from O'Hare where I was freezing my balls off to boot camp, which it ain't, it ain't any warmer there. Let me tell you that. Um, so we're sitting there and they just berate us. It's deathly quiet, deathly quiet the entire bus ride there. No one speaks. No one says anything. The moment those bus doors open, it's like a siren goes off. And I have never been called so many names in my entire life. And I'm a pretty creative insult artist, okay? These guys put me to shame. 
they they went to classes for this. I swear they had doctorates in insult. All right, it was rough. Uh, they uh, they they let you know where you are and where you stand real quick. So you go in, and you immediately get told a square. Like there, this is the square you can step on. This is the that's the only square you can step on, and you have to stand there at attention or what you think at that time is attention. Which guess what? You're wrong, and they will let you know <laughs> that you are wrong in the way that you were standing. And then they, they yell at you for a couple minutes. They tell you you're going to be drug tested. And during while everybody else is getting drug tested, while they're doing the rounds, you have two minutes to make a phone call. So you get to call home, let them know that you made it, and you're safe. And then they take your phone. And then they take your clothes. And then they take your wallet. And then they, they take everything. They strip you down. You go through the, basically like a, a cafeteria line. Right. And, and you you hand in your clothes. They hand you back your your new issued uh, gear that you wear for the next, you know, nine weeks or so. And that's it. I mean, you get brought into it hard and fast. Now, the first two days of boot camp are ones that I'll never remember because I, I physically can't. They keep you up for the first two days. They let you go to they, they, they let you go to a rack. And, and the way that boot camps, the way it's set up, I kind of told the, the story a little bit about how the, the racks and stuff are set up when you gave me my phallic letter uh, in a previous pod. But, you know, it's basically a giant open room with 50 to 100 bunk beds uh, that are kind of just in a, in, a, in a line on each side. And, and I mean, that's it. That's what you got. Uh, use all your clothing and everything goes underneath the, the bunk. Uh, I mean, you are on top of each other. From day one, I've got about 150 guys uh, per division. Um, and, you know, you all get to shower together. I, I'll tell one up playing sports and doing everything. You know, there's some differently uh, made people out there. I'll just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> some differently made people uh, that you, you just have to get comfortable with it real quick. Because, I mean, there's, there's not another option. You have, you know, five minutes to go use the bathroom in between, like, them running you, you doing sit-ups, marching. You march everywhere. I mean, it, it goes, it, it's just, it's intense. It is, it is a very hard eight, nine weeks out of your life that really turns you into a brand new person. So it's, it, it's fun. But, yeah, the first two days, you don't sleep. You go to your rack. They, they turn the lights off, but you never turn the lights off. When the lights go off, red lights come on. And that's to simulate how it is in a submarine which I didn't know at that at the time. I didn't know they were conditioning me for anything. I thought they were playing psychological war games trying to break me. And damn it, they almost did. It was, uh, I mean, it was, it was rough, but it was, you know, looking back, it was some of the most rewarding stuff. And, and it was one of those things where if you were kind of like how I was at that age of just completely undisciplined and just, you needed that structure. You needed somebody to kind of get you in line it was that eye-opening experience that you need. And, you know, there, there were some people that didn't make it. I mean, there were some people that, that, that crapped out. Um, but, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way that it, that it went. You know, they, they had to weed out the weaklings. Of course. I mean, I'm assuming not everybody makes it. You were talking about some people tapping out. Uh, two questions. How do you, I mean, roundabout, do you know how many people drop out percentage-wise? And then two what was like the hardest thing physically you had to do? Like maybe not one exercise. Maybe it was like a, you said you stand up for two days was pretty tough, but I mean, do you guys do the cold water stuff? Cause I'm not good in water. I can do hard things. I can do pushups. I can run. I can, you know, heavyweight. Like I can, I could, I feel like I could do that stuff. The water stuff. Ooh, no, no, no. 
You put me under water. So, you put me under water. I'm done. Yeah, you have to become a, a certified class two camp, which, in all honesty, that takes away a lot of people just right there for not being able to to get and get enough shape and be able to to pass those those tests. And a lot of that is it's a I can't remember how far of a swim it actually is. You have to tread water for so long. You, you there's a bunch of different things to deal with. I'll tell some uh, some stories in a minute about kind of diving, diving school and, and different things. Cause I wanted to qualify and do a bunch of different stuff. Uh, so I was able to do that, but, uh, coming out of boot camp, I mean, that's, that's probably the one that really kind of, you know, gets out a lot of people out, but you know, just the, the mental aptitude that you have to have and, and to be able to push through a lot of that stuff. It's a lot. Uh, and some people did break. I mean, you know, I, I don't want this to go into a dark place, but we did, you know, we had people, you're issued a, uh, uh, a razor, you know, to, to keep, you know, shave while clean shaving while you're there. I mean, the second night we were there, we had somebody found in the bathroom. Um, so, you know, uh, he ended up being okay, but obviously he was, he was removed. Um, you know, we've had, I've had similar situations like that going through school after, uh, after boot camp. Uh, I'll get kind of into how that works in a second, similar situations to once you get to the boat, I mean, you know, just because you make it through nine weeks, you know, it doesn't mean that you're that you're there and ready to go for the whole time. I mean, it's a it's a commitment, right? When you sign up, you generally sign up a standard term is four years of active duty, four years of reserves, right? So you automatically just committed eight years of your life to to this program, and it's a lot, and it, and it can and it can weigh on di- people in different ways. Um, you know, being away from family and stuff like that, and your support system, you know, it hurts. So, you know, as much as I like to joke about, you know, you writing me letters and stuff like that when I was there, I mean, that stuff honestly kept me going. I mean, it, it, it was nothing, but it, it, that, those little, little things like that. I mean, it's the mental aptitude is probably the, the thing that breaks the most people and, and really kind of makes you the strongest, uh, you know, not necessarily physically to, to get out of boot camp. So, okay, you get done with boot camp. What's your thought process between that and how long of a time is that between you and then you get, uh, is it technically deployed when you get, I mean, you get on the submarine and enter everything, but what's your, what's your thought process there? Are you like, I'm a badass because I just dominated that shit and I'm about to go run the world. Is that how you're feeling? Or are you kind of nervous about going on a boat or like, what do you, how does that work? I mean, that's how I've always felt. I mean, I just wake up in the morning and I piss excellence. That's just the way that it is. Okay. Uh, no. So you, you leave, you leave boot camp, and you basically have a weekend, a Liberty weekend where, and that's when, you know, like your family and all that stuff comes up, they get to see you graduate. You get to go marching and all nice. that kind of stuff. If you've never seen it, uh, to see the March come in, you can actually look it up in, on YouTube and just look at a, a graduation from a boot camp at the Navy. And it, it's really cool to watch the March and then the whole thing. Um, so that's, that's fun. And then you get to actually leave to go out that weekend and do things. But then come Monday morning, you're right back at it. I mean, just because you've graduated boot camp really doesn't mean anything. You probably have you hanging around there for two or three more days. And then you made it through boot camp, but you don't know your job. So you have to get, go to a, a school, right? And depending upon what your job is, depends on what school you go to. They call it A school. So I, you know, I went to A school in Charleston, South Carolina. That was when I started there. Uh, and I actually had to go through three different schools while I was in Charleston because of the program that I was in. Uh, a lot of people, you only go to through one. They range from four weeks to six months to a year. It just depends on what you're doing, right? So, you know, how, how fast can they teach you and train you and get you out to go and serve and do your job for the country? 
so I went to Charleston uh, for, for my first school. I had three schools that I had to pass and graduate through. Now, I don't know the percentages that you were talking about and asking earlier for boot camp in and of itself. I do know what it is for the schools that I went to. Chime time. Chime time. Hey, cheers. Uh, so when, you, when we were at these schools, just to kind of put it in perspective, uh, the nuclear program in the Navy accepts literally the top one percent of all applicants and, and and everything in the navy it's you if you're in that you are considered to be one of the brightest and smartest best of the best from that perspective that's serving all right out of the one percent that is selected uh 50 and technically some years is more than that uh, don't finish they'll fail out if wow. you fail a class which is basically two tests you're done they'll kick you out you have to go get re-rated you go become a crypt tech, you go do IT, you're out. And a lot of it is, it's very, uh, it's very strict academic based. It is for, for that. Like we would, we would go to classes from seven in the morning until about five in the afternoon and everything that we did and learned is top secret. So, I mean, Katie doesn't know what I do. You didn't know what I did. I mean, I can give little things, but you, you never know what I actually did, and I can't ever tell I you. I still don't know. I still don't know right now. And I, I got no clue. I'm just imagining you with just one red button. That's all, I th- that's all I'm thinking about. And I don't know. I don't know what else. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's that, nope, that's it. You got me. You figured out all my secrets. No, so I'm just like, <laughs> do, how do I push the – do I push it softly or do I slam it? Is it like a contest? Like, boom, I'm it. No I'm whammies, no me. whammies, no whammies. Hey! Pick, no more. No more North Korea. Um, Sorry, I am uh, very much belittling what <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so, I don't know. so yeah, Maybe. we have no idea. Yeah, uh, it t- but it's a, there's a funny side source. It was the first Christmas I ever went back uh, with Katie and her family, and I'm meeting all of her extended family for the first time, and they're very interested and wanted to get to know this new guy that's in her life. And uh, Katie and I actually got married six months after started, we started dating, so we, w- we went really fast. And uh, so these, these guys really wanted to know me. Right. They really wanted to know what it was I did and everything. And I just remember looking and, and unfortunately she's passed now, but her great aunt Jean, we called her mean Jean green bean. All right. This older lady, super country and, and just super, super nice. Uh, but she just looked at me dead. Eyes. She goes, so what is it? What does you do, son? And I just looked at her. I mean, it's the first time I met her. It's like, man, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. And she thought that was the funniest thing that she had ever heard in her life and then for the next like four or five years every time i saw her she goes what's up john wayne you're gonna have to kill me today I'm like no you're good today mean jeans oh, you're good that's funny um that's so funny. but yeah i mean so we can't talk about it we can talk about it with with each other obviously but i i'll never be able to tell you what it was that i actually officially did in any capacity so i've got a lot of really cool stories that i can never tell uh, so I'll, I'll skirt around a few details and a few different things of, of things that I can tell you. But that's also part of being on a submarine. Everything that's incorporated with a submarine is also technically a, a top secret, at least back in the uh, reactor compartment in the engine room. Uh, so if you ever see tours of a submarine, you'll you, you'll never see them go back there. Yeah. So you. So. Yeah. OK, so you get you get through school and then well, as, as you're going through school, you kind of know what you're going to end up doing at that point. Yeah, you kind of start getting getting placed a little bit. Yeah, kind of start to figure out a little bit uh, of what it is you're doing. When you're in your third school, it's called prototype, and so what they do in Charleston is they actually took two submarines who had crashed at one period. This is this is very true. 
the San Francisco actually ran into an underwater mountain at one point when it was out on deployment because they're dumb. I don't, I don't know how you do that. I mean, somebody, somebody messed that dude, up. Somebody had one job. Somebody had one job and they, come on, man, you had one job. I mean, that was, that was it. I still don't quite, but anyway, so what they do is they'll take uh, kind of decommissioned submarines. They put them up in the Harbor. They cut out the missile compartment because we don't need that. Uh, you know, we're not firing off missiles in the Bay and they kind of weld uh, the sonar and the, and the engine room side with the reactor in the middle, kind of all together and then that's what we train and learn on, right? So when we're doing that, uh, when we're learning on that that boat and stuff for about six months, our last little stint, uh, you have to pass a bunch of different, uh, you have to do a bunch of stuff. Anyway, once we're getting through that, then you find out like, hey, you know, where am I going? What am I doing? So a lot of the Navy has now moved to nuclear power. And what I mean by that is it, it's all rough, run off of a nuclear reactor, okay? Uh, so that was part of our job was maintaining and running those reactors, uh, and, you know, those can be, you know, basically if you want to boil it down, think about the thing that py- uh, powers Iron Man, right? There's your little arc reactor. Yeah, I can build one of those. Let's go. So that's Boom. that's how that's how I can relate this and make it work. So uh, if you ever get captured in a cave in Afghanistan and there's some random old parts, all of a sudden you're going to be fine. Dude, I'm Tony Stark. <laughs> I got you. Was was it was it Afghanistan? I think it I was. don't remember. All I remember is him shooting those giant summer. missiles and then just standing there with his arms wide open and like the like that was the greatest. Okay. I need to go I need to go back to Iron Man so 1 cuz that one so that good. one was fantastic. When he does the the showing and he puts his arms out the bottom the oh crazy. What was the first Marvel movie ever released? What was the first the one? Very ever first released? one. Do you remember? In the, in this like little mm-hmm. like MC in the, in the, in the universe, yeah. Was it Iron Man? Iron Man One, the that, very first that seems, one. Okay, the, it, I don't know why. Was, I don't know why I thought question. so long about it was a that. Trick question. It was a trick question. I was like, okay, well, I'm the Hulk Iron Man, came out like, like the old Hulk came out like a month later. Like it was it was yeah. real close, but Iron Man One was the yeah. very first one. All right. So, uh, so anyway, so yeah, we we're going through this. We're finishing that up. You find out then, you know, really where you're going to be and what's going to go on. You get to give a preference list. Right. Uh, oh, during this whole process, you can volunteer for submarine service or you can go serve on an aircraft carrier. Uh, again, all- that was one of my questions. Yeah. So, so you get to, you get to pick. Like, so yeah, so you're, you're you're either in a in a, a tube underwater or you're in a on a bigger okay. open tube here, above water. Here, well, it's not even <laughs> dude, it's a it's a moving city. There are five thousand people on an aircraft carrier. They have That's McDonald's. Insane. They have Starbucks. They can still Skype and see their families. If I had known all of that prior to uh, making my decision, my decision may have been different. But again, all I heard when they're giving me the pitch is you get paid more money to go on a submarine. Did you ever see? Okay, well, that's valid. Did you ever see Top Gun? You didn't want to be one of those guys? I (laughs) told you I wanted to be a pilot. That was the first thing that I was thinking about. Sorry, sorry. Um, All right, all right. So so that brings up a good question. So you – Finally, you get on the boat. How how long? First sub question: How long are your as your time? Is it six months, nine months? About uh, you being like a deployment? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's twofold answer. There are two types of submarines. There, okay. there are fast attack submarines and ballistic missile submarines. The ballistic missile submarines are the ones that have the ballistic missiles and the nuclear warheads and all that kind of stuff on there. You never know where those are at any time. No. No one does. Now, and that's part of the, the nuclear triad. So if you guys remember back four years ago when we were watching some presidential debates and Donald Trump doesn't know what the nuclear triad is, I was one of them. I was one of the legs of the nuclear triad, right? So we're out there, and we, no one knows where we are, and that's strategically because you don't know if I'm off the coast 
or if I'm close enough in shot to hit you with a nuclear warhead, so you better behave. I could I could be there. It's Schrodinger's cat, right? I could I could be dead. I could be alive. You never know. Um, so that's that's kind of how that that part goes. But fast attack submarines, those are the ones that go along in the carrier groups, and they're actually you know like underwater protecting the carrier. They actually get to go gotcha. to port. They get to have a real life. So for those. Those are a lot longer of deployments because they're they're going and they're going into ports, different places. They're doing things. The ballistic missile submarines, we're on two teams. And so I was on the blue crew for the SSBN 732 USS Alaska, um, you know, and then we had a gold crew. All right. Blue crew was way better than gold crew. It's just the way it was. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's, it's science. You can't argue with it. Um, so we would go out from anywhere between three to six to seven months at a time. All right. And then we would come back in, basically say, I had it. You got it. And then they'd go out for about the same amount of time. Same, same boat, same boat. Okay. Same boat. Uh, And so when that was out, life was great. We were, uh, and and honestly, you know, I joke around, but we were the most awarded submarine in the United Naval history when I was on it. Uh, We won every single award that there was. We were regarded as the best. And we were, I mean, we were badass. That's just, that's just the way it was. Hey, you just be humble. About it, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I speak truths. So we were, uh, you know, our, our EDMC, our engineering department master chief, who basically ran the engine room. He allowed us to only work four days a week when we weren't out deployed. Right. Uh, so I had a three day weekend every single weekend for, you know, six to seven months at a time which meant a lot more travel, a lot more having fun, a lot more seeing people again. Uh, and so that part was great. Now, on the flip side, when you're gone for, you know, six, seven months at a time, it, we don't have, you know, cable. We, we don't have real email. I'll explain that in a little bit. We don't have – We I can't make a phone call. I can't write you a letter anymore because we're, we're underneath the ocean, Right. That, that was a common misconception that we cleared up when I first said that at the beginning. I think that was the first episode. Yeah, it happens. It's cool. My mom. It's like I, I was I was mailing you letters when you're on the submarine underwater across the world. You know what I'm saying? Because that makes sense. Totally makes sense. It's fun. They actually send they send carrier pigeons carrier pigeons out there to the okay cool to to the carrier. See, the thought is there. I hear you. I'm with you. But uh, it it makes sense when you really it's possible. Okay. My mom no. asked me one of the first questions she asked me after I got to the boat. Hey, can you see anything out of the windows? I was like, Mom, this is not the yellow submarine. the the win- The <laughs> windows are right there next to the screen door, Mom. I promise they're right there. I think, and I think when you're when you're young, you think that because that's like the idea of like, oh, a submarine. It's like this, and then there's windows, and you're thinking like twenty thousand leagues under the sea with like the little you know yeah. the the bars on the outside of the windows. Yeah, they don't have, I'm assuming they don't nah. have anything like that. <laughs> nah, we've got the periscope, down periscope. If you if you want to see what it's really like, life on a submarine, and, and obviously this is a really old boat and everything, but go watch down periscope because that is honestly about as close as it gets to the tomfoolery that happens when you're uh, underwater and deployed. That's very strangely accurate uh, on how it really kind of goes when you're down there. So go check that so, movie out. So no, you're you're totally unconnected disconnected yep. there you go there's there's the term and you're on a boat with how many guys So 150 guys and not and only that was there were there were there any no. females no females were no. not allowed on submarines until the last year i was in the navy 
That's when they first allowed okay. the first few. And naturally, the way that, you know, uh, my my fellow degenerates would be immediately got in trouble for trying to sneak cameras where they shouldn't be in the whole nine yard. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the uh, there was some, you know, there's there's a lot of fun and cool stories I, I, I can tell you. And, and uh, you know, when. What, what do you do for fun? That's what I'm getting okay. at. So is that horseplay? Are you guys boxing in the corner? I mean, like... I mean, sometimes, uh, boxing <laughs> is a big deal in the Navy. All right. Like that is, I know, I know. I, I, I was yeah, kind of serious. That's, that's, like, a, that's, that a, a, thing? that's a thing. It's a, it's a really big deal. Um, and if you can do it, you're pretty much, are we going, are we going bare knuckle or are we going, we got any, usually we'll, we'll, we'll do pass. We'll do pass. Okay. So like going through school, we would go out, we had a volleyball court and we, that's where we would box. We'd box on the volleyball court, um, you know, just kind of drive around there uh, on the boat. There's a little bit of less room. And so you'd go down to the snake pit is what we called it uh, down at the very bottom. Uh, so the missile compartment has four stories. All right. If you think of it that way. So on the very bottom story, all the way back uh, against the engine room. So I guess the way to try to, the very front is like sonar and control. The middle of the submarine is the missile compartment. Are you allowed to? Yeah, say yeah. All this, this, part, this part's fine. This part's fine. <laughs> okay. This is this trust is me. Known. I yeah, I, I, I got this. All part. right. All right. Um, uh, the the middle is the missile compartment. It's got four levels, and then the back is the reactor and engine room. Right. So we would go down to what we call the snake pit, which was at the very bottom of the missile compartment, all the way back, basically against the uh, the reactor wall, right there. Right. And that's where we had the most space. And, and that's, I mean, that's, Hey, if you had to handle something with somebody, that's where you went and you handled it and nobody asked questions. All right. You showed up with a black eye busted lip. Okay. Hey, are we good? We're good. And that's just, that's, it was done. That was it. You, you tripped, you tripped getting out of that. Your bunk that was something. it. Let me yeah. out of the bunks. So here's okay. <laughs> when you're on a, uh, when you're on a fast attack, they have a lot less room than we do on a ballistic missile submarine. We have a lot more room, a lot bigger. So I can't tell you how many missiles, I can't tell you how many missile tubes. I'm not allowed to say that kind of stuff, but in between two missile tubes is your racks, right? So you walk in to, in between two missile tubes and there are nine racks in each room, I guess, if you want to kind of think of it that way, there's uh, basically three bunk beds on the left three on the right and three right in the middle, right? And are right in front of you. So it kind of forms a giant U, right? And to think of it that way. And that's where you live for six or seven months. You have a curtain that slides Whew. and that's it. It's about as wide as, you know, about shoulder width and it's six feet long. So I'm six, three, right? I was already hanging off this thing. So luckily the way the, yeah. you know, the shell kind of curves, right? And uh, of a summary, so you have little like blank void space right outside there. I built a shelf <laughs> and like, that's, that's where my <laughs> fellow was, was out on this shelf, like in the middle of nothing. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Damn. So that's, that's it. That's all. So Brad, think about little Brad. Brad was like stretching out like a king in this, in this tiny little area. Meanwhile, I, I look like a shriveled up. I look like wilder, you know, I, I'm, I'm tiny. It's just, if it was miserable. When you when you say little Brad, you do not mean it like they say little John. No, Brad's a Brad little man. Was fitting, Brad, Brad was fitting. Brad was fitting comfortably. Yeah, he was stretching box. out. He was doing well, jumping jacks. Quote unquote, quote unquote, comfortably. So these are very practical questions. But you you, you guys are getting showers down there. I mean, or is it like is that all you know? So here's the here's how that works. So how's that? Uh, uh, this will transition into to two things. Let's talk about the water, showers, and food. All right, all right, here together. 
So cool. we have two reverse osmosis units on board, uh, at least a submarine that I was on. All of them have them for, you know, uh, to ensure that we have fresh water and we'll take an end to salt water and getting it clean and purified and, and ready enough, good enough for us to drink. And, and I promise you, and this has been tested, it's the purest water that you can drink. It is seriously some of the nicest, freshest water you can honestly have. Uh, and I do know now after watching, what was that uh, show on Netflix for a little while that they did the water sommelier? Oh, yeah, it was Zac, Zac, Efron. Zac Efron. So there's a lot of different kinds uh, of water. That's, that's some of the fresh. It's been tested. It really is. It's, it's that good. So the water was fantastic, and which is obviously the same uh, water you're taking a shower in. Uh, for depending upon which which head you were in, you had two two to four showers in in one of them. And basically, the biggest the biggest transition is you're not on a 24 hour day. You when you're when you're underway, you're on an 18 hour day, and it's basically made into six hour shifts. Okay, so you would do six hours of watch where for what I did, we were in the engine room for six hours doing stuff. Then you're on six hours of, you know, maintenance or trying to get qualified different watch stations or trying to get qualified for your dolphins. Um, on a side note, on a carrier, there's a thing called a D-seaman and it's a, a damage control, um, you know, a sailor, basically. They come and they'll fight the fire for you. They'll help with the flooding. They, they do all that. That is their job. You know, they're the first responders. They're your firemen and, and all that kind of stuff. You don't have that on a submarine. Everybody gets qualified that on a submarine. You have to be able to basically understand enough what to do if something were to go wrong, whether it be fire, oil, uh, if the reactor blew up. You, know, what, what, you would have to know what to do to deal with all of that stuff, no matter what your actual job was. Because if you're nearby... Literally, you being able to get there and start doing that could save 149 other lives. So it was very intense on what we tried to do to train as far as damage. It, it really helped me now. You know, I've always been a pretty excitable guy. I, I get excited. I like to have fun. But if, if you know, if shit hits the fan, I do. I was calm as an arrow. And it, it's honestly because of that type of scenario and training that you just gets beat into you. You, you have to do it or else, you know, people could die. And if you don't pass that, if you don't get that stuff, they'll kick you off the boat. And I, and it's nothing against any person, but I have to be able to trust you literally with my life for you to serve with me on this submarine. So it, it gets taken extremely seriously uh, for you to be able to, to, to kind of go there. And I say all that, I definitely did bribe a couple guys when I was super, super tired after six hours of watch, six hours of maintenance, I had like, I was going on two hours of sleep. I only had four more hours before my next watch started. So I could go to bed for those three and a half hours. I did bribe a couple guys with logs of like dip to sign some of my watch standing book. So that I could go, I'll admit it. I'll, I'll admit it. I did it. I did it. But I learned that stuff later. I learned it. <laughs> And I passed it because you still have to have like a final board presentation and you have to talk about everything anyway. So I, I still learned it, but I will say at that time, I gave away logs of dip to, to, to qualify faster. And I was one of the fastest to ever qualify. Thank you very much. That <laughs> a boy. That a boy. So I'm sure that that was not the only bad thing you ever did on the boat, but we'll just we'll leave it at that unless you'd like to share <laughs> the the only thing that i'll i'll say is that i learned this saying while on the boat oh i got i got a great saying from boot camp and i said it to you last week and you loved it i'm gonna say it on here um i learned that there are two types of people in the world 
there are the people that you look to to get it done now and the people that you look to to get it done right. Okay. And you and you need both people. There are a lot of procedures and there's a lot of red tape when it comes to to the navy and certain things that get done as there should be. To a degree. Uh but there's also that you have like a 3-hour window and you need to get some shit done. Um and so at 2 a.m. in the morning, I'll put it this way. At 2 a.m. in the morning is when a lot of stuff gets done around the boat. And it's because there's a lot of ways that it gets done that's a little bit under the radar. I'll just, and, I'll, and I'll leave it nice. at that. Those are, those are the people who get it done now. So you, you need a little bit of everybody to, to stay on the same schedule and keep it going. I'll, just, I'll leave it at that. Uh, and then the one, the one, <laughs> the one uh, thing I heard at boot camp that, that I said it to you and Kimberly last week, you appreciated it. Uh, we were, you know, kind of rising some guys, and he was like, "Yeah, man, I wear the I wear the pants in my family." She she just picks them out for me every morning, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which I have never forgotten and never will because I think it is hysterical. I love that one. You mentioned two a.m. in the morning. Obviously, there's no windows, like you said, and uh, so. How do you d- distinguish night from day? Are you are, are you on the time zone of whatever you're in right then, or are you just making up your own time? You mentioned the whole 18-hour day thing, which is interesting. So you're just working in six-hour blocks, and then that's, that's it. it. That's it. So you work six-hour blocks. So you think about it. Within a 24-hour span, you're going to stand watch twice. So you're on logs because logs go from you know midnight to midnight with the way that they work. So you're on those logs for at least twice you know during that time frame, and that kind of helps keep you sane to know really what time it is. Uh, your the clock that's on board is where you're ported from. So that's you know I always went off of Eastern time because we were stationed out of Georgia, Kings Bay. Uh, so that's that's always the time zone that we used no matter where we were and what was going on. Now. When it gets a little hazy and fuzzy uh, is when you come up to periscope depth and you want to raise the periscope and look out and kind of make sure, see what's going on around you. And you're in a completely different time zone and it's sunny outside, but you, you whatever. So that's when the red lights come on, right? That's that's when all that stuff works to try to help you transition and, and uh, direct your eyes and get that stuff used to different light and, and the whole nine. That's, so there's, there's actual reason and meaning behind just the red lights and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So that's that's really how the the, the days and nights and, and all that stuff kind of work. Uh, it's it's very tiring. Um, you never sleep. I mean, the the max you could sleep is six hours in, in an eighteen hour window. And I can tell you right now, that just never happens. You're lucky to get four. You're really lucky to get four because you get six hours of watch, six hours of maintenance, and then six hours that's yours. Uh, and you know, if you've if you're still qualifying and trying to get you know good to go, that's that's the time you have to do that. And like I've already said, you only have a certain amount of time uh, before they're like, all right, you're off the boat. You're not smart enough to stay on here. Or, you know, that's when you're just trying to unwind a little bit and just do something. So the yeah. biggest way that we were able to do that is, you know, we didn't have TV, but we had movies, right? We had, you had stuff that you could bring on board. So we had every movie under the sun that you could ever think of. Somebody had it somewhere. Well, 
It was technically every sure. it was technically every movie under the sea as well. Hey oh, I see what you're I've been working there. on my dad jokes. Yeah, uh, buddy. Two 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 game before you know. All right. Well so what are you watching on? You got TVs down there, you got laptops, you got like oh, this was probably I mean DVD little DVD players used to be a thing. I don't know little if little DVD thing. listen, you go you go back in time when you go onto these because you don't have a cell phone. Yeah, you, know, you don't have any of that stuff. Uh, you know, people still had laptops, right, that they would bring down, but it's not like you had internet or any of that stuff. It's literally just to play DVDs if that's what you had. Uh, but we had a cruise mess, so we had uh, four TVs in there um, that you could watch stuff on. Uh, it's always going to be – every all four are going to be on the same thing, though, so that way you're not having all these competing deals. Uh, we would do from time to time, like two of them. Uh, on playing video games they had xboxes and people would bring those nice. things down uh so two of them would be that and the other two would be a movie and the ones with like the video games wouldn't have any volume on so that way you could you could do with it that way you know we had a bunch of cool stuff like that um once you qualified you picked a movie for the entire boat right so that was like your reward for qualifying so the night i qualified uh out of respect and this was a nod to you i don't know if i ever told you this this was a nod to you we, I, I put four brothers on for the entire boat <laughs> and all I did, and I hey. fell asleep during the movie. Like that's it. I, I was so, I was always so tired. That's okay. You, you knew all the lines anyway. I did. It was part, quality. So. Um, Man, <laughs> that was a great movie. I remember us going to see that. I think it was you, me and Sebastian. At, at midnight premiere yep. in Madison. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. And man, I, I still to this day, I think it's a great movie. Now, also, I haven't seen it in probably ten years now, so I probably need to go back and watch it because movies, certain movies, don't age well. But uh, all right, so you got you got some access to some entertainment, but you're but you only get at you got to use your sleep time to watch it. Is that pretty much pretty it? much it? That's pretty much gotcha. it. Uh, unless you were one of those pansy jobs that didn't have much maintenance to do, <laughs> uh, and then you got a little bit of extra time from from that perspective. But it didn't matter because. 30 minutes after you got off watch, you had to do field day and you, so you had to clean, uh, cause it's very important to, to keep clean, right. The entire, I mean, that's still to this day with me, I'm very particular about things being clean. I'm very particular about if a light bulb is out, the first watch that I was able to qualify in, which is basically the most junior thing for a, for a nuke is it's called area electrician aft. And you are the, the Guinea pig electrician around the engine room. And so you deal with anything and everything and you will get chewed out if they ever find a light bulb that's out because they're like, well, why aren't you walking around? Why aren't you checking on everything? Why didn't you see this? Why? And you're, you're never going to see it. You're supposed to be around everywhere. What? You're never going to see it. You're, you're always going to get caught. You're talking about, you're not talking about just lights, like in the walkways and stuff. You're talking about like on switchboards and stuff too. Like everything. any little thing, everything, okay, everything. Cool. I'm just, I'm trying to make it sound more badass than Everything. I'm sure I was imagining it first. Well, and then you're also the guy that goes because nobody else can leave. Like the the best part of that watch, and it's my it was my favorite one, is because you get to move. Everywhere else, you have to stand still, stand in front of your panel, do stuff. Uh, but I, you know, that one you could roam around the engine room. You could go and see people, talk to people, hang out while they were standing there watch. Uh, well, I get in trouble a lot for sneaking candy back there and like giving people skittles. <laughs> You know, like st- doing stupid stuff like that. And apparently logs of dip. And so, you know, uh, how do you get qualified? That, that's I, there actually, you go. Honestly, that's, that's how I got in the most trouble was I was trying to qualify while on watch. 
and I would walk around and be like, hey, man, give me a checkout. Give me a checkout. Let me let me tell you about the engine room freshwater system real quick. Sign my book. Sign it. Uh, dude, I drove people That's crazy. Awesome. Uh, working, working smarter, not harder, right? Exactly. Two things at once, man. Right. You can multitask. <laughs> but anyway, all right. So two two things uh, more about I'll, – I'll, I'll, let me hit on the food, and then we can move on a little bit. Food. So one – you know, I talked about the DC men, and if, if things were to go wrong on a submarine, what would happen? So let me tell you, there's a plan for everything, and chime time. There chime is time. there is a plan for everything. So say a submarine, which is designed to sink, mind you, sinks, and it's just sitting at the bottom of the ocean, and, and you know it doesn't move anymore. You can't do anything. Eventually, you're going to run out of food, right? I mean, yeah. you, you got to figure that out. Wrong, my friend. Let me tell you how we're going to get food to you while you're trapped in this metal tube down on the bottom ocean floor. There are tiny tubes that go around the shell of the submarine, and they come out into uh, to the well, right? And they are thick enough for one item, and it was designed. I promise you, it is designed for this, just in case all chaos ensues and, like, you, you got nothing else. You can't get out. You're stuck in there. Can you guess what it is? Spam hot dogs. hot dogs. They could slide Shut hot dogs up. down into the wells, so that way you guys could eat. All right, I always found that one just hysterical to me. That's like that bizarre. was just so funny to me. That's the sustenance. That's what we get. Hot dogs. Yeah, hot dogs. That's awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, usually about once a month they would do uh, what they would call steak and crab night. I can just tell you, this this is not high quality steak. The crab actually wasn't bad. But the the, okay. the the crab legs that they would get were, were not bad. The steak was a bit mundane. I'll, I'll just okay. I'll just leave it that way. Uh, but anyway, one of the uh, one of the best stories, and and this is one of the reasons that I hate beans, and I won't eat. I refuse. I will not eat beans, uh, and I barely will eat rice because of this. We were uh, deployed, and we were an alert status. We were somewhere that we probably weren't really supposed to be. But we were there because we were told to be. And we ran out of food. So it's not a big deal. Usually you go to certain drop zones and a helicopter can come out. You surface. They they pull stuff down. We just pull it in. You know, and that's that's it. Well, where we were at, we weren't allowed to do that because we were deaf. I mean, we were somewhere we were not supposed to be. But we could not leave. We were there for a very strategic and important mission. We ran out of food for two weeks the only food we had was rice and beans. Oof. So luckily I got a care package earlier in that deployment uh, from Katie and she had sent me just packet upon packet upon packet of Taco Bell sauce. <laughs> so I loaded those beans and rice up with so much Taco Bell sauce. I won't eat Taco Bell sauce either anymore. I can't, I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. But yeah, I, can't, I will not eat beans because, it, like, I can't. I physically can't. I came back from that deployment, and you know, I'm a big dude. You know, I'm six three. I generally hang out around that 200 pound range. I was about 150 pounds. Ooh. I was a skeleton. It was rough. Uh, so yeah, you know, food is interesting when on a submarine to, by itself. But then when you're somewhere you're not really supposed to be and you run out of it, it gets it gets real real quick. It's like the the question, like if you could only eat one more one thing every day for the rest of your life, I think I think anything would actually drive you crazy. I'm pretty pretty confident in that answer. But rice and beans, yeah, rice and beans are not fun, my friend. 
with some uh what are you going mild you're going extra high what do you got what's most 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 of it was mild (laughs) i think for those of you who know me know me i'm a huge pansy when it comes to hot food i like the flavor but i can't deal with the spice uh i will say though there was some a little bit of everything in that box and i used it all because i didn't care at that point i just needed something i just needed something you're just sucking down hot sauce by i really was i'll sit i'll sit in the corner (laughs) (laughs) all right so this this probably brings me to uh, my last question. It's kind of a multi-layered. You kind of answered it already, but do you know one? Do you know where you're at at all times, or like on the world, and like, or is that just the people that are driving the boat, the front, you know, or wherever you're at? I don't know where how that works. So, do you at all times? Do you kind of have an idea of where the boat's at, or where you where you are, and where in the world is Waldo? Uh, and then two, uh, do you know? I, I mean, you probably can't talk about all these places, things, but like. Is there a cool place that you can talk about that you got off the boat? Do they ever let you get off or is it just when you come home? Yes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we got off and did a bunch of cool stuff that I can't talk about, but uh, for your first question, I was one of the few that didn't know where we were at all times. The the majority of the boat does not know, Uh, you know, for, for what I did, I kind of, I did control a little bit of, you know, the drive, I guess you would say. Um, So, I knew where we were, uh, you know, very few people did. Uh, and it wasn't like it was a huge secret. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, no one really cared. I mean, all they're going to do is look out if they do get to periscope death to see water. And I mean, it's not like it, it matters one way or the other. Uh, a couple of cool places that I can't talk about. We didn't get off here, uh, but we did go up under the Arctic circle for a little while. Uh, and that was as cold as you would possibly think it is. Uh, even inside the submarine, dude, I had my pea coat, uh, a jumpsuit, uh, a jacket, and I, I, a blanket, and I was still—you could still see your breath inside it. I was freezing. Ooh. We had a wet bilge uh, at the time, and I mean, it, it was iced over. Uh, and so, what that is is basically just a little bit of water down at the very bottom of the submarine, uh, and it, it was frozen. It was ice. It was wow. It was crazy. And also, if you've seen, you know, that movie Down Periscope, and as they go deeper, you see the string that he puts up on each side kind of compress. That's real. That really happens. Even to a submarine, like even to one of our big boy new submarines, that is real. That definitely happens. So it's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so that was one cool place uh, that we definitely went that I can't at least say that. So we did come up a little bit and, and see some things, but I never got to go out and do it. Uh, one of the cool things that I can talk about that we did do is uh, a swim call, right? So we're out in the middle uh, of the ocean. Uh, I think we were in the Caribbean at the time, uh, not close to anybody around anything. You can only do this if you know for a fact no one's around you, right? I mean, that's that's the deal. Yeah. And so yeah. we surfaced, basically sat idle, and you got to, if you wanted to go topside and go swimming, you got to go topside, just jump off uh, of the submarine and go swim for a little while. They went their ladders down. Now, this, this is not my story, but I'm going to claim it as it is. Bring so it there on. was a swim call. And still, I mean, you're, you're in the ocean, right? There are predators. There are sharks. That is still oh, a thing. That, the first thing, I'm, first thing I'm thinking is, well, you just threw yourself on the menu, but okay. It's still going. a thing. So we, we had guys who would walk around still fully armed with AKs, and they were on shark watch. Uh, and so that way, you know, they could let us know or, or anything. Well, you know, when you get to do something like this, no one wants that watch. Just, they want to jump off. They want to swim. They want to relax and just kind of escape for 10 minutes. 
So who are you going to put on this watch? The most junior guy that, you know, he doesn't have a choice. He has to go do everything that we tell him to do. So these guys are fresh to the boat. They're real green behind the ears and they don't know. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're looking for. They don't know anything. And so we had a guy on you, man. Like you think you got, I'd say probably 70 people up there. Still some people on watch down below. Some people just still wanted to sleep. They didn't care. That was their six hour window to sleep. So they wanted to sleep. That's fine. Right. Probably had 70 people out in the water, give or take. Uh, having a good time, laying out topside, trying to get some sunburn because you think I'm white now. You should have seen me when I'd come back from deployment. Uh, but, you know, they're out there swimming. And this junior kid sees a fin. And without warning, doesn't call out, doesn't oh, say no. anything, snaps that safety off, has it in automatic, and it just lightened the water up. <laughs> I, you're talking about people flipping their lids is so many people so fast and this is a submarine you, you don't have any grips right there's one ladder to get up and down that's it that's all you got and you know, they're just throwing it up pure and total chaos chaos oh my gosh come to find out this kid was from new york had never gone to the beach before in his life he had oh never gosh. seen a dolphin before <laughs> So this dude shot up a dolphin thinking that it was a shark trying to protect everybody. Well, I can appreciate, you know, him trying to protect us. Yeah. Not, not, not a good day. It's usually the thought that counts, but in that case, mm. not I mean, cool. Dude. If you would at least call cool. it out, you know, like then we could, Oh no, you're good. No, dude. <laughs> but it's like just- he was, he was on it. How, but how far away is he shooting eh, towards I mean, people? I mean, it was far enough away, but if, if you're hearing it, you're too close. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like yeah. It, was, it was that, you know, so it was okay. But yeah, that, that definitely uh, swim call, you know, never, never went the same again. We got to do yeah. uh, a couple of fun things. Like I said, we were the most awarded boat uh, in Naval history at the time. And we got to do a thing called an F set. And what that is, is obviously that's not, that sounds oh, inappropriate. It, it, it is going to go and ahead and set up front. So we uh, we don't, you know, obviously, you know, we, we're not testing nuclear bombs in, in the desert anymore, right? You know, you don't see that mushroom cloud. Well, let me tell you something. We still test them, and we still got to make sure that our missile compartment and things work. So we have this island, and we have blown this island to smithereens several times. Uh, <laughs> And when you, when you get chosen to do an F set, basically you're going to get tested and get to do that. And it is so incredible to watch and do, but I, I will also say you're in a, you're in a tube, you're in a cylinder. You fire this thing. As I said earlier, the missile compartment's right in the middle. The entire boat almost feels like it's folding in half when this thing shoots out with the propulsion that it has on it. It is wild. It, it uh, there's no way to describe what that is when you're going through it. And if you ever had to do it when you were firing it for real, oh man, I could only imagine how terrifying that really would be. Uh, Cause it's crazy, but it was super fun. And then to basically yeah, well, you like, know, make an Island disappear was even greater. You see, you see like movies and stuff and you just see, okay, they shot the missile off the boat, whatever. That's cool. To, to actually think about the physics of like, the, to your point, the propulsion going down and the shooting out and the boat 
compressing in the water. That's insane. That's you want to you want to learn how those missiles work in a very juvenile way that I'm allowed to say, but can't go any further than this. Explain it to me yep, like I'm five, I'm and I've got a lemonade stand. You. All right, so if we give you nine dollars, all right. So the way that these things work is they actually use GPS the same way that, that you and I do it, except for they use stars, right? They don't use satellites. They use stars. So we shoot this thing up, and it basically goes up all the way onto orbit for the most part. And it, it's reading, tracking, no matter where we are in the entire world, off of certain stars that we have pinged before we fired it, right? And so that's what it uses and how it kind of dives back down to the, to the Earth before it lands on whatever it is. So it's wow. pretty cool. So like it, the technology and physics behind it are pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, that is the most juvenile basic way that I can even try to explain how that part works. But it's, uh, it's really, really cool, fun stuff. So, yeah, if we're ever stuck in, in Iraq or Iran or Afghanistan or whatever, I'll build you an Iron Man suit and we'll get going. It'll be fun. <laughs> well, dude, I, uh, I didn't know a lot of these stories before this podcast. So uh, thanks for sharing, man. It's, it's really cool stuff. It uh, makes my stories with Van sound just very, very... I don't know what a good way of a bit saying mundane. that is, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> mundane, maybe. I mean, whatever. Uh, but super, super cool stories, man. And uh, thank you for serving. I mean, you know, so crazy. I've always wondered, like, what it is. What, what do you say, right, when somebody says thank you for serving? And it's something that I've given a lot of thought to. And in all honesty, the way that I, I generally respond, and, and I will right now, is, I mean, it was honestly an honor. Uh, but it was, you know, it, it's, it, it's for people like you, for people like, you know, my family, uh, for people who were listening to this pod, you know, that's, that's those, those people, um, you know, to go out and do what it is that you guys do each and every day, it, you know, that's, that's greatly appreciated too. So it was definitely an honor to serve. Uh, it's, you know, I definitely want to give thanks to all those who still are. Uh, but you know, thank you guys too, for all the support because it takes, you know, it, it takes everybody. It really does.